Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. I was so nervous. <laughs> I was so nervous about doing that. Again, it was the same thing, excitement and fear. I was excited about helping people, about telling stories, and about becoming a better writer through the process of writing and self-editing. I was scared out of my wits about the possibility of missing days, waking up late, not having enough time, all the things that anybody would normally worry about when you take on a commitment like that, daily emails. This week, I'm going to experiment with something different. Instead of bringing on a guest, I am going to use this episode as an opportunity to talk about my own journey through the context of the book that I have coming out on May 25th, 2021, called Knowing Where to Look, 108 Daily Doses of Inspiration. And that book is full of personal stories, as well as classical stories, anecdotes, and observations that I have composed over the last five years. So I want to start by sharing with you the opening story of that book that I think you'll find very, very interesting. And then I want to give a little bit more context to that story and share a couple of other stories as well. And I'm doing all of this off the cuff. But I think it's really important to talk about the background of these kinds of projects because we all have some sort of project or passion that we think about or dream about or work towards. And it's easy to hear someone who hosts their own podcast talk about their book or mention it and feel like, well, of course they have a book or of course they have a podcast as if life somehow slows down for people like me, <laughs> but it's too busy to do these kinds of things for everyone else. And the journey that I've been on is as busy, as uncertain, as messy as anyone else. I would say that's true for pretty much anyone that you may look up to or admire, whose work you may admire. The one thing that I have been successful at, though, is not necessarily making lots of money. I don't have a lot of money, but I have been successful at following my heart. And that was a very intentional decision that I made many, many years ago. And I'll share the story about that as well. So the first story, which in the book I call Right Time, Right Place, it referenced May of 2018. That was the year I turned 45. 
That is the year I downsized, which means I got rid of pretty much all of my possessions that did not fit into my 22-inch carry-on bag and my backpack. In the months before, I had seen a documentary on minimalism, and I read a book about the joys of giving things away that I no longer used. And I had also been closely observing a good friend of mine who had recently gone nomadic, and he had been living in Bali for some time. And in short, I was inspired. I was inspired to experiment with shedding all of my life's possessions that did not fit into that carry-on bag and backpack. So for me, it would be a hard reset. It would be an epic purging of the items that I had been essentially lugging around from apartment to apartment for years, even decades. My plan was to give away my entire wardrobe, except for a few days worth of clothing, all of my furniture, obviously, the artwork that I collected over the years of traveling and teaching around the world. I had several overflowing boxes of handwritten letters that I've been storing in my various closets for over 20 years. I had journals full of travel stories and secrets and poetry and my analog photos from my earlier days when I was a wandering street photographer in New York City, and basically anything that I was not using on a day-to-day basis had to go, and everything else had to fit into my carry-on bag. That's all I allowed myself to keep. So my carry-on would effectively become my new apartment. There would be no storage rooms, and whether something was sentimental or not, It didn't matter. Everything else had to go. But it didn't get real until I gave my 30-day notice, and then I started having multiple yard sales and posting things for free on Craigslist during that final month in my Santa Monica apartment. And the only thing remaining in that shell of my apartment was the Echo in the living room, which signaled to me the ominous end of an era. And not just of my apartment, but of the conventional idea of stability, of comfort, and of familiarity. And so from that point on, the plan was to live exclusively from inspiration. I would find comfort in the discomfort of uncertainty, of the unknown. And I'm sure that can sound scary or crazy to some people, but had I not trusted my internal GPS, I don't think I could have done it. However, I'd spent years practicing these kinds of leaps of faith. And while I didn't know the outcome, and honestly, I still don't know the outcome in 2021, something inside of me said that it is time to switch it up. and. For me, that was enough of a justification to take the leap. In fact, this was going to be my third nomadic adventure within the span of about 25 years. That's right. It was my third time doing this. I actually did something similar way back when I was a 22-year-old advertising creative living in Chicago. I was fresh out of college at Howard University in Washington, D.C., And it was one of the first times I consciously followed inspiration, although I didn't have language for it back then. 
I was young and I was curious about the various colors of life. And my first, quotes real job after school was at a boutique ad agency called Burrell Communications down at the Miracle Mile in Chicago, also known as Michigan Avenue, which was not far from the Chicago Art Institute, for those of you who are familiar with that area. So I didn't know it at the time, but that would be the only nine to five job I would ever have to date. And it would only last about three months, at which point I would be inspired to resign and I use my meager savings to purchase a one-way ticket to Paris. Why Paris? I had this strange inner calling to travel there. Even though I was a kid from Montgomery, Alabama, there was just something familiar and almost dreamy about the idea of exploring the home of the Champs-Élysées and the Eiffel Tower. I didn't speak French, although I did take a couple of years of it in college. But I didn't know much about French culture outside of what I'd seen on television. And I was really going on nothing more than just a hunch, an urge, a nudging from my heart. But for me, that was enough to begin loosely planning this trip. My internal GPS was my travel agent, I would say, and it instructed me to resign from the ad agency and begin making travel arrangements. Now, mind you, I didn't have anywhere to stay in Paris. There were no smartphones back in 1996. There were no search engines or map applications to pre-plan the trip and make it more predictable or comforting. Everything in those days was analog. And I lied and told my mom that I had landed a job there and that they were sending for me. Now, granted, I felt bad about lying, but I knew that she would worry about me if she discovered the truth, that not a soul was expecting me in Paris, that I only had a few hundred dollars to my name, that I didn't know where I would stay on my first night, that I was stepping so far out of my comfort zone that I was feeling both alive and numb at the same time. But the part that I was really afraid that she wouldn't understand was how deep down I knew it would all work out because I didn't even understand how I knew. I just did. On the night of my one-way Continental Airlines flight, I nervously arrived to an overcrowded gate carrying a black army duffel bag stuffed with t-shirts and I had a couple pairs of jeans and this navy pea coat and a black military sweater with buttons across the right shoulder and some black combat boots. Basically, I made a stop at the army surplus store a few weeks before because I figure army gear, military clothing was more durable than traditional department store clothing. And I didn't know when the next time would be that I would have a chance to go shopping. I also had my passport, of course, and I bought this book from the bookstore called Paris on a Budget. It was a guidebook. So my flight from Chicago to Paris had a connection through Newark Liberty International Airport. And I remember it was late in the evening when I arrived at the gate with my duffel bag full of all of my life's possessions, bobbing in the sea of French natives conversing in what would be my 
new language, hopefully, most of which I didn't understand aside from bonjour, which of course means hello, and ça va, which means how are you. It was the first time that I recall feeling physically anxious since I had decided to take that insane leap of faith by purchasing that one-way ticket to Paris's Charles de Gaulle Airport. And just before boarding commenced in Newark, I was sitting in my chair, feeling nervous, and the gate agent announced that the flight was oversold and that they would need a few of the passengers to give up their seats. But no one budged. And so the agent came back on a few minutes later and she offered a voucher of $200 USD to entice somebody to volunteer to give up their seat. But still nobody batting an eye because this was a late night flight, which meant if you missed the flight, you would have to stay somewhere overnight in Newark, come back the next night, take the next flight. So it was a big inconvenience. But a couple minutes later, they sweetened the deal to $400 per voucher. And man, I jumped up and made a beeline for the gate to volunteer my seat because guess what? I didn't have to be anywhere, so I could afford to stay an extra night. And she handed me a flight voucher for $400 plus a meal ticket good for dinner and lunch the next day, plus room and board at one of the local airport hotels for the night. So I had basically just earned enough money for my return ticket because I was broke. I didn't have any money. And when I arrived the next evening for the flight to Paris, it was the same song, second verse. Crowded gate, oversold flight, a call for volunteers to give up their seats. And I was able to score another $400 voucher. Holy crap, I thought. Maybe I can just do this for a living. I can keep showing up here night after night <laughs> and getting these flight vouchers. Everything felt so easy and so seamless. And during my second overnight stay at the same airport hotel, I met two Americans who were living in Paris who also gave up their seats. And after dinner, we exchanged contact information. So not only did I have $800 in airline flight vouchers, which was more than enough for a return flight, but I also had familiar faces to call upon in Paris. The next night, went back to the gate. Same song, third verse, <laughs> crowded gate. They called for volunteers. I offered to give up my seat. And lo and behold, after everyone had boarded, they said, we do have one more seat. So I ultimately had to go on that flight to Paris. When I eventually landed in France early the next morning, I went straight from the taxi to see about getting a job at one of the big fashion houses. So my dream at the time was to work in fashion, become a fashion model in some form or fashion. And so the first place I cold called turned me away within about five minutes of my arrival. It wasn't a good fit, they told me. We have guys that look just like you. Come back and reapply in a few months during the fashion shows. As I was sitting in the foyer looking through the maps and trying to figure out where to try next, a man in the office, this tall black man, he came up to me 
And he said to me in perfect American English that he recognized me from Chicago, which was completely bizarre. Apparently, he was from Chicago, but working in Paris. And he had seen me in Chicago that previous summer because he was a photographer and he said he never forgets a face. And he asked if the agency agreed to work with me. I told him, no, I was rejected. And without even thinking about it, he just said, okay, follow me. Now, remember, I just met this person literally two minutes before. And he says, follow me. And so I didn't have anywhere to be. <laughs> I had no idea where he was taking me. But I said, okay. And we walked out of that office down the hallway in the same building, on the same floor, and into the office literally right next door because he wanted to introduce me to another potential agency. And as I walked through the door, I just casually glanced around the office and I heard somebody scream my name. And I turned around and standing there was a dear old friend of mine from college. Her name is Lori. I had no idea that Lori was even in Paris, but evidently she'd moved to town some months before and she was now working in that office. And after learning that I was obviously in a need of a place to stay, she connected me with a good friend of hers who also happened to be in the office with her. And he just so happened to have access to his mom's apartment because his mom had just left town for three months. And the apartment was in front of the Sacre Coeur, which is in one of the most desirable areas of Paris in the 18th district. And on top of that, the agency agreed to work with me. So basically within two hours of landing in Paris, not knowing a soul, I ended up with a job, Hey there, really quickly, have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork and you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. 
The code is happy. All right, back to the episode. I ended up with a place to stay. I ended up with a group of friends who were super interesting. And most of them I met on that first day. And I went on to live in Paris for about six months. And remember, all of this was divinely timed with two intentionally missed flights and one unintentional work rejection. Plus, I had the dough to return to the States whenever I wanted to, all because I followed my inner guidance, all because I followed the voice of inspiration. And I learned from that first nomadic experience about the power of inspiration. And that I, like many people, had been guided by inspiration for much of my life without even realizing it. And over the last couple of decades, I've learned how to recognize that inner guidance and to really listen to it and trust it and to know that no matter how things appear on the outside, if I consciously follow it, I'll almost always find myself in the right time at the right place. So that was the story that I open my book up with. It's a true story and it's something that I think about quite often whenever I am at a crossroads of what do I do next? You know, I've got an opportunity to take a leap of faith or I could take the safe choice. And when I think about that story and how the rejection and the giving up my seat on the flight and all of that really played a role in how things turned out, then it it inspires me to go with the leap of faith more often than not. And so this book is really like a meditation on on the subject of inspiration because it's a tricky concept. Inspiration is tricky. You can't really define it because defining it using words is limiting. It's like defining the word love. However, it's undeniable that we feel love. And similarly, most of us have felt inspired at one point or another. The word inspire comes from the Latin root word in, which means into, and spirare, which means to breathe or to blow. So to inspire means to blow into, as in to receive air to breathe. But instead of air, of course, it's an idea or It's a truth that we receive. And I suppose it is from a divine source or what I refer to as the universe or what some people may say, God. But whether we agree with this perspective or not, again, the feeling is undeniable. And we've all had it. We've all had that feeling of inspiration. It was was a hunch. It was an inner calling like on Episode 49, when Saul Williams talked about feeling that his calling was the stage 
And when he was passing by the Brooklyn Moon Cafe that evening, and something told him to go in and, and see what they were doing. And he went in there, and that was the night that he had first delivered his poem that he had written previously on his vacation called Amethyst Rocks that then launched his career as this amazingly prolific spoken word poet and performer. That was the feeling that Marcus Samuelson, Chef Marcus Samuelson, had in episode 44 when he talked about moving to New York, taking the leap of faith to New York to see about opening his own restaurant after the Michelin star chef in Europe told him that he would not be successful at doing that because no black chef had ever been able to be successful at a high-end restaurant. It was the same feeling that so many of the people that I've talked to on this podcast have reported, the feeling of inspiration. And the thing about inspiration that I think it's really important to understand, especially if you're not sure if you're feeling it or not, is that, again, it makes you feel both excited and scared. The excitement part stems from the possibilities, right? Considering all the possibilities. And those possibilities usually have something to do with engaging in an activity or behavior that makes you naturally come alive, that makes your heart sing, as they say. And the scary part is that it is going to stretch you. It is going to require you to kind of get stronger in some way, kind of like when you go to the gym, the reason why, and everybody's had this experience when you're thinking about, oh, do I want to go to the gym today? The reason we kind of talk ourselves out of it sometimes is because it's hard. It takes a lot out of us to work out, to have a proper workout. Because, you know, the real workout doesn't even start until, until you want to give up. And that means it just gets hard and then we want to quit. But we also understand that in sticking with it, we're growing, we're getting stronger. And that's why no one has ever regretted their workout after they're finished. No one's ever finished a workout and said, oh man, I wish I didn't work out so hard, right? It's usually the opposite. That was awesome. I don't know if I want to do it again, but I love the way I feel. You get the endorphin rush. No one ever has to tell you that working out feels good because it's self-evident. And so inspiration also has those same characteristics. When you follow it, there is a degree of uncertainty associated with it, but it feels awesome. When I was in Paris and I linked up with those people and I had that apartment, it felt awesome to take that leap of faith. In hindsight, while I was sitting at the gate waiting for my boarding prompts, I was so nervous and anxious and unsure and not quite certain that I was doing the right thing. So there are both of those components involved. And the more often you go with it, the easier it is to go with it. 
And so that's really why I put this book together. So the book was a combination, or I should say, an accumulation of doses of inspiration that I had been writing for the last handful of years. Back in June of 2016, I got inspired to write a daily email, a daily email called the Daily Dose of Inspiration, or actually became Light's Daily Dose of Inspiration. And the plan was to spend some time each day writing this short missive, this 200 or less word email about some experience that I had had or something I had witnessed or something I'd heard about that personally brought me inspiration in hopes that it would bring the reader inspiration. What's interesting about that is I was so nervous. <laughs> I was so nervous about doing that. Again, it was the same thing, excitement and fear. I was excited about helping people, about telling stories, and about becoming a better writer through the process of writing and self-editing. I was scared out of my wits about the possibility of missing days, waking up late, not having enough time, all the things that anybody would normally worry about when you take on a commitment like that, daily emails. And so that combination, again, I recognized as inspiration, and I knew that I had to take it seriously. And so after dragging my feet for many, many months, I decided around the time of my birthday, which is usually when I take on these commitments, because to me, my birthday signifies my own personal new year. And that's like my own new year resolution to myself. So my birthday is at the end of May. I think I tried to do it on my birthday, but then somehow got some days mixed up and I decided I'm going to do it one week from today, from my birthday. And so June the 6th, it was exactly one week from my birthday. And that was the day that I sent out my very first daily dose of inspiration email called Make Tea Not War. It was a short description of how tea was invented. <laughs> and I didn't even really know what I was doing. Right? I felt like hey, I'm interested in knowing these little tidbits. So maybe there's some other people who are interested as well. And I think I had 20 people on my email list at the time. And then the next day I told some story from my personal life, just a story that I had told before. And then the next day, and what I was afraid of initially was that I was going to run out of content after a few weeks. But I kept posting day after day and I kind of decided, okay, six o'clock Pacific Coast time is a good time to send this email out. So I just need to get it done by then. I could do it the night before, I could do it the morning of, but ideally the night before because that gives me more time to write unless I'm waking up really, really early. But I was hitting the deadline, the emails were going out, everything seemed to be great until about three weeks in, my worst fears became realized. 
I ran out of content. I told all the stories I knew. I mean, think about it. Think about how many stories you know that you could recount right now, today, off the top of your head. If you're able to tell and or write a couple of dozen good stories and make them short enough to fit within a 200-word email, you're doing great. So I had reached my limit, right? A couple dozen stories. And I would sit at the computer the evening before and nothing was there. I had nothing to write about. And I wasn't sure what to do. And so something really interesting started happening. I noticed that in those moments when I was completely out of inspiration, a thought or an idea would just come through me right before I needed to hit the send button. Those ended up being the most impactful stories, meaning they got the most engagement from the subscribers who were now growing. The list was growing. I remember something Maya Angelou said. She said, you're never going to run out of creativity because being creative generates creativity. And I found the same thing to be true for this inspiration project. I didn't run out after three weeks because I found that showing up every day for three weeks, it ended up generating more inspiration. And there are some authors out there like Stephen Pressfield, who I've talked to on the podcast, and Elizabeth Gilbert, who I've yet to speak with. They talk about the concept of the muse, this divine force that essentially gifts you with ideas to do something creative with, to do something unique with. And there's another dose in this book, Knowing Where to Look, that addresses this. And I just, I have the book in front of me while I'm talking. So I just kind of thumbed through it and I came across it. And I want to share this with you all as well. It's called What Flows Out. And it says, my most creative times are not when I'm writing, painting, or doodling. It's when I'm meditating. That's when the dots tend to connect. That's when the hunches form and the impulses brew. My writing and other creative expressions are merely the byproducts of what gets incubated while I'm sitting with my eyes closed. Then I'll return to the page and I'll start transcribing what I hear. And that becomes the basis of most of these stories and transmissions. If I wasn't making the time to sit still each morning, usually before I write, I highly doubt that I would be able to keep generating new things to write about, at least not without going completely mad. And if you are in a creative slump, try this. Sit with your back supported and close your eyes and just let your mind roam and swirl and settle for a good 15 to 20 minutes. Don't focus on anything in particular. Don't meditate on anything. Just be with your thoughts, whatever they are. Then go back to the page or the canvas and see what flows out. So I'm glad I just came across that because that reminds me of another component to this whole 
leap of faith thing, which is daily meditation. And for those of you who are really familiar with my work, you know I'm not just the inspiration guy. I'm also a long-time meditation teacher. I've been practicing meditation for 20 years. And I have to credit my practice with providing me with the space to keep showing up and to keep trusting what I hear and feel and experience inside. We know we call it the still small voice. And the reason why it can be challenging to hear that still small voice is because it's not the only voice that's in there. There are a myriad of voices competing for our attention. There's the still small voice, which I would argue is the voice of inspiration, but then there's also the voice of social conditioning, right? Groupthink. Once something becomes an issue in the media, whether it's vaccines or do I wear a mask or all these things, we tend to form our opinion based on what we hear most other people say. And our opinion may agree with that or it may contradict that, but it is in relationship to what we hear most other people say. In other words, it's not as independent as we may like to think that it is. And then there's the pain voice, the pain body, whatever painful or traumatic or stressful episodes we've experienced in our life have left impressions in our cellular memory. And so those impressions will then cause the nervous system to respond or react to various stimuli that reminds the body of those old past stresses and episodes. And so that's in there screaming at us to run and freeze and to fight and protect yourself. And that voice probably gets the most attention. So that one naturally is the loudest. When you have the inclination to take a leap of faith, you right away you hear this voice goes, no, are you crazy? You can't do that. You'll look stupid. It'll, you'll get ostracized. You'll have to, you lose all your money. You know, you'll get all these voices bombarding you. And because we've been so loyal to that voice, and many times for good reason, because as children, we don't have the social maturity to understand that, hey, it's not your fault or you're in an abusive situation. You know, you're just trying to adapt as best you can, but 15, 20 years of that will cause that voice to sound like it's the only one that matters. And so you have the voice of your caretakers. You know, what did your parents say about finances? Should you pay for quality or should you save money and pinch pennies? And all these different voices are in there and they're working on us. And so meditation is a way of creating distance from all of those voices and allowing that still small voice to kind of emerge from within our spirit. And then hopefully we have enough space to be able to trust it. And then hopefully we have enough space to be able to follow it. Once we start following it, that's the way to get the volume of the still small voice to turn up and then it becomes like this loud jet engine that you just cannot ignore. And you find that you can take action. 
I'm going to read one more of these daily doses in the book. This one is called Your Third Day. And it's about the famous saying that we get from Mark Twain, who said that our two most important days in life are the day we are born and the day we find out why. But I would add a third day to that philosophy, the day we start taking action on our purpose, our why. People spend years contemplating their passion and purpose without ever taking any kind of meaningful action, mainly due to a fear of failure or embarrassment or perhaps self-imposed racism, ageism, or sexism. But we can make the argument that out of our three most important days, the third day is the most important And the best news of all is that our third day can be today. All we have to do is take one action step. A small but meaningful baby step will do. This could be doing some research. It could be choosing to forego an activity that will free up time in the days ahead to build momentum. So the question is, what can you do today to act on your why? And that is how you increase the volume on the voice of inspiration slash intuition, because it's going to have to be very, very convincing or very, very loud in order to override the fear voice. And that was my experience. started writing these emails. One year went by, another year went by, never missed a day. And then about three years in, three and a half years in, I'm talking with my agent, who's also a subscriber. My list has grown to the thousands. And she says, hey, we should do something with these emails. And the process of book creation is you create a proposal which means essentially if you're an unknown entity like I was in the publishing world, you create a proposed marketing strategy. You have to talk about how you plan to market this thing. And then you also include an outline and a couple of sample chapters of what your book is going to be about. Honestly, the marketing strategy is more important than the outline. (laughs) In other words, if you have a huge platform and a way to sell books, it really doesn't matter as much what your book is about because you will eventually get a book deal. Book publishers, the publishing business is not a charity. It is a business and they want to sell books. That's what they're in business of doing is selling books. And so for those of you who are considering writing a book, your first book, If you don't have a big platform right now, it doesn't mean you can't write the book. You can obviously write your book. You will have more success self-publishing that book probably than you would getting the attention of a big publisher to fall in love with your idea and throw all of their resources behind it and get out there and market the book for you. That just doesn't happen. 
as far as I have seen in the publishing industry. And so fortunately, I had a big enough platform to be able to secure a modest book deal for this book. And I'd already had much of the content because it was the accumulation of the daily doses of inspiration that had gotten the biggest impact over those five years. The ones who had gotten the biggest responses, the most shares, plus some original content, obviously. But I just wanted to share this with people who had not been subscribed to my list because I know that we can all use more inspiration. There's so much negativity happening in the news, on social media, Twitter, and so little positivity or inspiration. And so I wanted this to become a treasure trove of inspiration that anyone could use. And the way the book is structured It's not one of those books that you feel pressure, I've got to read this whole thing cover to cover to get the point. No, it's actually put together to be read sporadically in the way that people actually read books, right? When you go to a bookstore, what do you typically do? You see a book whose cover you may find interesting, you pick it up and you flip it open to some random page or maybe you thumb through it. Something catches your eye, you start reading. Hopefully, it's a story or some anecdote that grabs your attention. If not, you put the book back down and you go on to the next one. So this book is actually designed for that purpose, for people who don't like reading books in its entirety. You pick it up, you flip it open to whatever page catches your attention because every page has its own unique text design or graphic design or illustration. And it's a page long story. So even if you only read that one page, then that could be enough to give you a spark of inspiration. And then you go on with your day or you go on with your meditation. And then maybe a week later, you pick it up again, you thumb through it and you find another dose that catches your eye. And you do that and you just kind of use it in that way over the course of several years or several weeks or several months. I mean, they're only 108, so you could theoretically read it from cover to cover in an afternoon, but it's actually intended to be savored and to be experienced over a longer stretch of time. Because that's kind of how life works, right? Most of us We're so busy already with our life that we don't even have time to read, but we may be excited about raising kids or being chef or whatever it is that we're passionate about, gardening, traveling, and we're not sitting down reading books. But every now and again, we hit a crossroads and we arrive at a patch of uncertainty. We're not quite sure what to do next. And that's when this book comes in handy. That's what it was written for, those moments. Because guess what? You may not have all day to read a book about that topic that you're facing, but you do have two minutes to just get a perspective shift. And I tell people in the interviews I've been doing, this is not a book of solutions. I'm not here to give you the answers. No one can give you the definitive answer of what you should do or how that leap of faith should look 
or what following your heart sounds like. The job of this book is to point you in a direction that will allow you to see things a little bit differently. That's why it's called knowing where to look because everybody is looking in a slightly different direction for their own personal inspiration. And I think the more reminders we get with this, the more we learn how to do this on our own. And then our life becomes that beacon for other people who are struggling to find their calling, their path, their purpose, their inspiration. So that's the idea. That's the idea behind this book. And if all of that sounds intriguing to you, if you have loved this podcast and the content of the podcast, if you followed my daily dose of inspiration emails, if you are a fan of my social media posts, insights with light and all of that, you will absolutely cherish knowing where to look. You are the person that I wrote this book for. And I would be so honored, so grateful if you purchased not just one copy of Knowing Where to Look, but several copies of this book before the publishing date. If you pre-order them, that's even better because that sends a strong message to the publishing world that, hey, people want to read more than just books about how to make money and what so-and-so did in the White House and gossipy books. And we want more inspiration. We want to see books with more of this kind of content. The way the publishing industry works, they gauge success based on pre-sales. So it is crucial for the people who are fans of an author's work to pre-order that author's book. If you truly want to support them, if you truly stand behind their mission, then the best thing you can do is pre-order copies, plural, of their work. That is the best way to support them. The second best way to support them is to obviously purchase the book whenever you are able to purchase the book. But if you really want to go the extra mile, pre-ordering the book would be phenomenal. And I would truly, truly appreciate those of you who are able to do that. I am not going to stop writing anytime soon. I'm not going to stop doing these podcasts anytime soon. I'm going to keep doing what I do because I am very clear that that is a part of my mission at this point in time in this lifetime is to take whatever I have and do the most with it to help leave you in a better place, to help leave you more inspired than I found you. And so I'm grateful that you have listened to this episode. I'm grateful that you have listened to any of my episodes, that you have shared them, that you have rated and reviewed them. And I'll keep them coming and I'll keep writing. And I cannot wait for those of you who have pre-ordered the book to get your copies and to send your initial thoughts and feedback so that I can share it with the world and so that we can discuss it and get inspired together. I'm still as big of a fan of these daily doses of inspiration as anyone else is because I don't take authorship of them, as I said, I ran out of ideas three weeks into this thing five years ago. 
So now I'm just the transcriber. I'm transcribing the ideas that, that are coming through me. And maybe those ideas are about my personal experiences or about someone else's experiences, but I'm not the originator of them. I'm just the person who's showing up every day, who's uh, sharing them with the world. And so this book is as much ours as it is mine because you inspired it by supporting my work, by sending me feedback, replying to those emails, comments, sharing. I get inspired. When I see you following your heart and your passion, I get inspired to keep doing my thing. So this is very much the effort of a village. It takes a village to be inspired and stay inspired. And I appreciate you and I love you. And yeah, can't wait to hear what you think. So thanks again for sharing this episode in advance with your friends and your followers. And make sure you do rate and review the podcast because that's the way the podcast industry determines what people are looking for from ratings and reviews. If it's past May 25th and the book is already out and you have already gotten the book, please leave a review on Amazon. It's very important to leave a review or a rating on Amazon for the book. Even if you just read a couple of the doses, they're all different variations of that. So you get the gist. Leave your review. I want to hear from you. And it could help other people who are on the fence about getting the book decide whether or not they're going to hit that buy button. So thanks a lot, guys. And we'll see you next week with another episode from the end of the tunnel. In the meantime, keep taking those leaps of faith. Keep following your heart. And remember, I believe in you. Much love. you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, Just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.